You've got a passion for the outdoors, a desire to feel the warm sun on your face, the sound of your fly line whipping through the air, the pop of the water as the fish inhales the fly you just found in the floorboard of your truck. You need to feel the cool waters on your feet, the crisp north breeze of a November morning, the sound of a turkey gobble, the December rut, the chills of an elk bugle in September. It's the longing passion to chase your obsession. This is what we share. This is what we preach. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Welcome, everybody. We're fresh from being full from Thanksgiving. Have you guys recovered? No. <laughs> <laughs> I ate the last of the turkey leftovers today. Oh, nice. Well, today we got a great episode for you guys. I got Gabe to my left. He's running the board today, so we'll see if there this... might be some mistakes, but we're going to have fun with it. Yeah. And then we have a returning guest, Kevin Hutchinson. How are Hello. you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Glad to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you. We had such a good time on the last uh, the last <laughs> time you were here. So, but you, uh, we'll give our listeners a little bit of a teaser. Kevin just bought a company, a fly fishing company, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So, some great things happening there. But before we get into that, Gabe, did you bring anything for us to drink you know, today? I did. I did bring something. Um, I brought uh, Old Hell Roaring uh, from Crooked Water. Uh, Spirits of the North is actually from Minnesota. Uh, my sister-in-law, lovely sister-in-law, got this for me for Christmas last year. It's out of actually a distillery from um, Wisconsin. They source the whiskey. They do some stuff with it. They age it. Um, I've seen some stuff online. I'm not sure where they're getting their barrels from, uh, but this is just a, a double-barreled straight bourbon whiskey coming in at 90 proof. I feel like it comes a little bit hotter than than blends at the same proof. I feel like there's a little bit more flavor to it, a little bit more pop on it, uh, likely from, again, the double aging. I think it's great, especially since I was going to say it's finally getting cold, but it's 80 degrees again <laughs> today. Um, yeah, I was hoping to bring some scotches, but I was like, yeah, it's probably not not scotch weather yet. I like the logo. Yeah, I'm no, going to say that. The really? logo is sweet. I have her looking. They had a special run of a uh, sherry cast finish that I'm hoping she can find and uh, and bring it down when she comes for uh, for Christmas. And that one, she's been looking, but that's not, you can't get that down here, uh, specifically, you know, up in the, in the Minnesota area that you can get it, um, you know, distributed, but not, has not made it down here to Texas. So I thought it was really cool. It was a, it was a really small place. They have a, kind of a restaurant, um, not really going to I think we could say distillery, but they're distilling gin and vodka. So they're getting, like I said, this is actually, I had to really look at it when she bought it for me, but they are bringing it over from, from a Wisconsin, a small Wisconsin uh, distillery. It does punch pretty hard. Yeah, for right? Proof. For a 90 proof, it, it's got some really good flavor, and it, and it punches. It's very fruity, which is kind of what I like. Um, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a back end on it. Just a mm-hmm. little bit, yeah. yeah. I, if, you, if you've tried uh, E.H. Taylor's uh, small batch, this would be similar to that. Um, not really too sweet, like a weeded... Um, it's not very sweet, no. More like that smoke wagon, uh, the straight that I've brought, kind of mm-hmm. like that. And um, I'm trying to think what other brands. Uh, what's not Makers? Um, 
Oh, I can think of it in my in my head, um, or I can see the the picture in my head of it. It'll probably come back to me when I'm paying attention. But um, I'm just trying to think of other other ones that would be close that we've had. Eagle Rare would be up there. Eagle Rare would be like this. Like I said, the Smoke Wagon Straight would be like this. Um, e. H. Taylor Small Batch would be similar to this. Um, trying to think off the shelf stuff that Noah's Mill I think would be would yeah. be like this. Well, well, say I'm, I'm really embarrassed to admit what we used to do in college now because we're talking about this high end. Mix it with RC? No, no. <laughs> we used to we used to buy Everclear and lemon. Yes. Heads. Yeah, we'd buy yeah. lemon heads and dissolve them in the Everclear. So that was. Uh, Pretty much white trash. <laughs> no, hey, <laughs> I mean we we had the ever Everclear in the uh, in the watermelon in the fridge exactly. a couple of times, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Yep. know how that that worked. Yeah, uh, much better. Yeah, <laughs> right. More refined. <laughs> more refined. Much more. I feel like I'm gonna wake up in the morning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'd say it's not my favorite, but I don't dislike it. Yeah. No. It's it's for me and my taste that I like I, I like it especially like it when it's 40 degrees outside it's even better um but yeah it's nice like I said I like that fruit forward I like the punchiness I usually like high um high proof stuff anyway even though this is at 90 it still has that that afterburn you know like a little bit of a kick on the on the back end so um, being a neophyte here the fruity taste on it is is the cask that they age yeah, them in yeah it's it's all so this isn't a bourbon so it's not it's not a a new oak burnt out cask, gotcha, so gotcha. it's it's used. And then on top of that, they're they're aging it in two other casks, and I don't remember what those two other casks were. Uh-huh. And they were used. It could have been a sherry barrel, could have been something else. I just I don't remember what those two other casks would have been. That they would have. obviously, I would think that they're separate casks. They're not both from bourbon. You know, use bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something else um, that I could. I don't know, it could be yeah, because even my uneducated palate picks up the fruity part. Yeah, and yeah. and a lot of that too is just that's that's how it, you know, we're 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 tasting the char coming off of the barrel. Yeah. as it was aged in there, I just don't care too much. You know, we've talked about scotches, we've talked about high peated stuff, we've talked about some heavy rice, and there are bourbons out there that just taste like you've licked a leather sofa. You know, it looked li- literally just just an old leather couch. Now we're just getting right back to the Everclear day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, at least with the Everclear, you know, what the Everclear is, yeah. it's just you know, it's no funk that right. some of this other stuff comes out. I forgot to mention Zach is out because he's uh, under the weather, but I will uh, say I was texting Zach today because uh, we watched the we were we were watching it together, but we watched the U.S. Men's National Team win. Oh. <sighs> This is a questionable call that didn't get, or a questionable uncall, I guess, at the end there. But I don't know. I didn't see anything questionable. <laughs> Either he sold it well. It did. I don't know, man. I don't know. I wish. I wish it didn't. I'll end tell you on what. That. that offsides call was questionable. Yeah, it was. Hey, we won on time. Yeah, yeah, we won. Hey, I'll take that back. We, we won. got out. We good. That's we didn't true. tie because if they tied, they would have been kicked out. Right. right? Yeah. Right on points. <clears throat> and then have nine minutes and extra times. It's like oh. yeah, because I looked into it because I didn't understand how the points work. But uh, if you win, you get three points. Mm-hmm. If you tie, it's one point. Loss is zero points. So having two ties, we have two points. Well, uh, basically, if like Wales and Iran, they played each other. That's going to put either one of those teams in a point scenario ahead of us because we're stuck at 
three points, right. or we're stuck at two points. And so the only way to win was we had to take those two points and add a win to it and add a three point to get five points. just hate when those games are so close like that. Like I said, nine extra minutes, you're just like – You don't know what's going to Yeah, it's like, oh, this is getting close, and they have all those things going on in the box, and it's just, you know, you're – I had to walk away, and thank God I got a call. So <laughs> I totally forgot about it, and I came back, and I was like, oh, hey, we won. Look at that. It is yeah. exciting, though. It's the only time I'm excited about soccer. Those guys were gassed. I mean, when that game yeah. – when they blew those whistles, oh, everybody yeah. was on the floor. You know, I mean, those – those guys are playing for their lives. Yeah. Yep. So, especially after not qualifying the last time. Yeah. You know, coming back and making it all the way to the knockout round. All the commentary I've seen on the uh, on the game is because our one goal was with contact with the goalie, mm-hmm. um, and everyone's like, "Can't be American uh, soccer without uh, bringing American football into it and <laughs> plowing into the goalie." I mean, I did. I, <laughs> I was hoping this wasn't going to be like. Um, what was it? It was the men's basketball from what was it, the seventies, where they had the questionable calls against Russia. Yeah, and and we ended up losing in in a, a th- what third redo, you know. There, uh, so that's that's what I was concerned with. Like, oh man, you know. Well, I would also like to uh, Sean, who was uh, on talking about the San Antonio River Authority. That episode came out today. He was giving us a hard time about our. Preseason prediction was for Tech to go seven and five, and I'm happy to announce Tech has ended the season seven and five. Well, you, you <laughs> I mean, you can, you and Zach can enjoy that. I went to a D three college, so I mean, so I just wanted, to, I just wanted to clarify that for the podcast, Sean. If you're listening, yep. there is clarity there. Also, he's a big Michigan fan, so congrats to him on their big win this weekend too. We did go to the UTSA uh, uh, UTEP game, which was pretty interesting early on. Yeah, and they came back and and won. Well, I am thinking about trying to get my youngest brother. Aaron is in school at North Texas, okay, and they're playing UTSA this weekend in the Alamo Dome for the conference championship. So I'm trying to get him to come down so we can go to the game together on Friday. Yeah, it seemed like ch- tickets, like the expensive ones, if you bought it there, were like th- thirty bucks. A seat. Yeah, ch- tickets aren't bad. Yeah, it's like not bad. thirty. I mean, thirty know, bucks for a decent seat. Bucket a, a bucket of chicken, you got like four free tickets anyway. So. You <laughs> Uh, Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Mine was completely awesome. Yeah? Super quiet. No family drama because no family was involved. So, yeah, it was just turkey and relaxation. And, yeah, just it, it, it was nice to have a Thanksgiving where family wasn't involved. What was the spread? What did you have? Ooh, let's see. Uh... Fried the turkey. Oh, okay, and, nice. And I could only get a turkey breast, and I love dark meat. I like white meat, too, but I, I love the dark meat. But, yeah, I could only find a turkey breast because I, I didn't want to buy, like, some big, huge turkey because then you're eating on it forever and you really start hating it. But um, So, yeah, that, let's see, uh, green beans. you got to have green beans. That's, that's a given. Um, sweet potatoes. With uh, some rum in them. Oh, nice. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That yes. was actually pretty nice. That was kind of took the sweet out of them a little bit, but it was it was pretty good. So how did you? How was that? How was that done? Like was that baked after the fact? Yeah. Or taken out? Yeah. And then it was. It was just kind of uh, diced them up, boiled them till they were 
about three quarters of the way cooked and then baked them with a little bit of butter and a little bit of rum nice. and yeah a little bit of brown sugar it was pretty good nice and not much you know just a little bit of sweet in there but yeah the rum was was a really nice touch um let's see uh cornbread stuffing nice. that's that's a given although it's kind of you're kind of totally faking it when you don't have a whole turkey to put it inside <laughs> and you yeah. know so that was baked but it was still good um and uh one of our employees made a uh, apple cake thing that it, I, I'm not really sure what she called it, but it was like a conglomeration of apple, kind of like apple cake, but it had coconut in it and it had butterscotch in it. Yeah. Which is really, yeah, that's it, it, that's what I thought too. It sounded, it didn't sound good, but it tasted great. It was awesome. So. So yeah, and and homemade cranberry sauce, and you know. Do you have a signature dish that you cook? I, I usually cook the turkey, and it's usually I either roast it. You know, I don't know. I I truly do not understand how people dry turkey out. Yeah. Everyone's always like, "Oh, I hate going there because their turkey's so dry." It's like you got to work to dry out a turkey. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I I'll either roast it or deep fry it. And I have never had a dry turkey in my life, so. I don't know how people do it. Apparently, they do. And they're good at it. Yeah. (laughs) Because they hear it every year. I guess. But um, I would say the turkey's kind of my thing. And then I I make a stuffing that I didn't make this year that's like a Scottish deal. And it's it's kind of a meat and potatoes stuffing that they used to stuff uh, birds with over there. And I didn't make it this year, but that's usually the other thing I make. Okay. The turkey was good. So the next important question, though, pumpkin pie or pecan? Well, we had that apple cake, I'm so sorry. I didn't make uh, either one. Yeah, pump, mm, yeah pumpkin. Because yeah. was it you, you don't like pumpkin pie. No, I love pumpkin. Who, do, who did I was staunchly defending pumpkin pie okay. on our group So message. that was Zach that was saying. Yeah, other people go. were trashing it and saying it doesn't even it's deserve to be on the oh, table. No, no, no. Good pumpkin pie is rocking. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't dislike pecan pie. I don't see why we have to live in two worlds where it's pumpkin or pecan. I'll happily eat pumpkin and exactly, pecan. Exactly. If I had to choose, I'm going to give the slight nod to pumpkin pie, but that's where I that's the yeah. world I live in. What about you? What was your spread? Well, so we were supposed to go see some family for Thanksgiving, but due to some unforeseen uh, things that happened, we ended up staying here. And I was like, you know what? Let's do ribs. Nice. Okay. Ooh. So I smoked ribs okay. on the Traeger, and they were nice. pork, uh, pork ribs. Pork ribs. Yeah. On the uh, Traeger, and they mm. were fantastic. We did a couple sides, got a pumpkin pie. It was nice. fantastic. And then uh, had a couple days off, so I actually got a lot of stuff done ar- done around the house that uh, needed to get done. Good. Yeah, including good. cleaning out our storage unit, which they've been raising the rates on us for. <sighs> Yeah, basically every week for the past year. So, <laughs> uh, got that done. We had uh, we had the usual spread. Uh, I made a last minute call and got one of the HEB rib roasts. Oh, you know, a nice little small one, yes. and um, you know, it was it came out actually really good. I messed up because I was in the middle of doing uh, mac and cheese and some other stuff, and I let it go just little bit more than it needs to i i like that medium rare my parents and everyone else kind of likes it a little you know a little bit on the other side uh so it was a it worked out great and um 
did not dry out. It was it ta- <laughs> even though it wasn't where I wanted it to be, and I was bummed out about it. It was it actually came out really good. And I would totally buy another one of those. So Skinner, if you're listening, I would buy another one of those. <laughs> and I did a uh, did a shrimp cocktail. Wife made like four pies. We oh, had the really? pumpkin. We had the pecan. She made from scratch, and then she mm-hmm. makes an apple pie with a crumble topping and a caramel drizzle on it. Ooh. And yeah, it's it's like you got to kind of plan. Like, okay, I want to eat this, <laughs> but I'm gonna have to make some room for that. Um, so yeah, it we ate really well, and um, I was forcing myself to eat. You know the extras today because it's like this last day. I got I got to eat them, um, and then past that, actually Friday we went Southerly had closed downtown in the Pearl, and I really liked that restaurant. We went and when they had reopened, it's an issue with with uh, plumbing, and since it's in the old Pearl Brewery, you know there's a lot of stuff that they have to do uh, in regards to uh, the fact that it's a you know historical building, so they have to do certain things. Uh, but they had, and I've always missed it for the last like three years fried snapper throats and they were fantastic finally for the first time we were able to get an order of them because they were always sold out and they actually had like two orders left because we went like at 7 30 and it was they were good they were mm. really good it was the first time i've I've kind of had uh those before they were i yeah i'd just get that as a meal and um and then we had their uh, mac and cheese with uh crab meat on it as well and yeah it was just Food coma all weekend. Yeah, <laughs> but and, but in the mix, we're in our our busy season with work, so it was just like it was literally you know working through through Wednesday and checking phone stuff on Thursday and Friday. Um, but it was a good weekend. It was a really good, really good Thanksgiving. But it was weird. You go from all that cold weather earlier in the week to a seventy-seven degree yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's like where I think ribs would have been fantastic. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that would have like. Uh, you know, been more of of uh, to match the weather on it, but no, it was it was great. It was really good. Uh, Kevin, how you? So you took our buddy Ian out yeah. recently, and yeah. his uh, new girlfriend, who we haven't met yet. Oh, she's so. A, uh, l- let's just put them on. Let's put Ian on blast. blast for a little yeah, bit. yeah. He's he's uh, he's way out of his league with this girl. Oh yeah, oh, good. Oh, yeah, she yeah she's gonna wise up to him. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, they were really really fun to be with. Um, it was a great day, caught a bunch of fish, had a really fun time. Um, weather was perfect. It was one of those bluebird days that you kind of, you know, get in the fall and the spring where it was just perfect, you know, perfect weather. Water was a little bit low just because of the drought, but, um, yeah, it was really, really nice. And and she's real sweet. And, you know, it, it was, it was nice to just have people on the boat that were just pleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't any competition. It was, you know, sometimes you get these husbands and wives where it's just like, you know, you wonder how the relationship even works because it's just like they're so competitive with each other, and and you know, or it's that you know one of them wants to be there and the other one doesn't, and so there's that tension. And this was none of that. It was just both of them wanted to be there. It was really fun. Just a, it was a great day. So nothing but. Nothing but high marks for her. Good. Yeah. We'll, we'll get Ian to listen to this. We'll report back. No, we just we need to reach out to her and get her on the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. no, I definitely that. would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she has she has a couple little food issues, and I think that she expected 
that even though she had voiced them, because I asked, I said, you know, like I always do, you know, anything I need to look out for. And she had kind of mentioned a couple things. And I think that she thought I was just going to kind of sandbag it and just kind of, you know, not really facilitate that. And so she was pretty shocked when I actually paid attention and, you know, made some good food that she could eat. So it, it was it was a good day. It was a good day. Nice. And she's, yeah. She was very sweet. So, Well, we uh, pushed out to the world uh, that they could ask you questions since you were going to be on the podcast. Uh-oh. And I got a doozy for the first one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Here we go. So uh, Blacklisted Fishing asked, <laughs> can, I, can I be in a photo shoot? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is that I, something you would you do you mind talking about that? I, Your n- other business? No, I don't at all. I I you know, it's funny because uh, it's it's not something that I do talk about with a lot of my clients, but um I have a, a a photography business. I originally when I went to college, I got a degree in commercial photography and uh that was about 40 years ago and I in my first life I worked as a commercial photographer, and I literally have done everything uh, as a commercial photographer, everything from weddings to portraits to photojournalism to, you know, high-end uh, commercial clients like Harley Davidson and Alan Bradley and Harnish Vager and, you know, huge, huge accounts. And I kind of walked away from it. I, I moved When I moved to Texas, I was working as a photographer, and I got kind of burned out. So mm. I walked away from it for three or four years and then I kind of started back up again just kind of doing some side gigs and I did that for a pretty long time and then um, I won't go into the details but basically a friend of mine's wife wanted to do a boudoir shoot and she trusted me to do it (laughs) and so I did that and um, it just turned out really well I don't I just I don't know I just it was something that I just kind of had a knack for I guess and uh, so I ended up starting up a, a business, um, and uh, it, it's been it's been really fun. It's it's a very I would like to think it's a very unique business model for what I do for the boudoir market. Is that it's very much uh, client driven, where they kind of pick things that they want to do, and I just kind of follow, you know. Because a lot of people have ideas about things they want to do or whatever, and a lot of studios just kind of, they just do kind of cookie cutter stuff, and so they have their sheet and they know like, okay, this is yeah, going to get this in and out exactly, and and mine's a whole lot different. I spend a lot of time with the people, um, we put a lot of effort into it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's something that I'm really proud of. I mean, I. I I tell people all the time when they kind of grill me about it or they want to throw shade on me is, you know, I, I use what's called the mother rule and I don't shoot anything that I wouldn't show my mother. You know, it's, it's real easy to do garbage, mm-hmm. you know, trashy, smutty looking stuff is easy. It's, it's when you want to make it look good and high end and nice. And, um, so yeah, I've been doing that. It's funny because, Every once in a while, someone will be on my fishing Instagram page, and somehow, I'm still not sure how they do it, but they kind of link over to my plain brown wrapper uh, website, and they're like, whoa, hello, you know. (laughs) And, you know, there's nothing on there that's overly racy. I mean, it's Instagram. You know, there's rules. You can't post certain stuff. 
but I think it's just a a, a way that people haven't seen me, mm-hmm. you know. And it is funny because I do a lot of river shoots, and every once in a while, and I'm sure that's you know blacklist question, obviously, was that he's he's heard people that have seen me on on the river shooting, um, you know, they'll run into me and kind of know who I am, and it's just it, it for them it's almost like whiplash because I'm just so far out of context <laughs> <laughs> for what they what they what they're used to seeing. But the really funny part is that I've actually had customers that have approached me about doing combination trips. I've done at least three of them where we fish for part of the day and actually did photos for part of the day. Interesting. And um, so anyway, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not, I don't try to hide it. I just don't, I don't flaunt it. I don't advertise what I do at all. I don't need to. Um, if, if you want what I do, you will f- find me. Um, and uh, I do a lot of interesting stuff. And just one last thing on this, because I know we don't want to sit and talk about this all night. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm, currently working on a book of amputees okay so it's a after i had my amputation um i kind of got in with a amputee support group and uh i i learned real quick and i should have just figured this out but it's having no frame of reference i didn't really get it but a lot of people that have amputations their self-confidence and their self-image really kind of hits the skids Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these people kind of need a little bit of a shot in the arm, you know, someone to show them that they're still beautiful. You know, there's there's something beautiful about everybody. And and um, so we're currently working, I'm working with um, a place called Rogue Prosthetics that makes, obviously, prosthetics. And we're photographing some of their clients. And, uh, again, it's all self-driven where, you know, they can – be photographed in any environment they want to be photographed in any way they want to be photographed. It doesn't matter if they're men, women, doesn't matter. It's just something to kind of boost up their self-esteem a little bit. That's cool. So yeah, that's, that's a, a that's good project. A, yeah. That's a really neat thing. And it's, yeah. it, you're right. There's that it's a thing you don't really think of until it's happened to you yeah. and, and you, and you're more aware of like, okay, I don't, you know, yeah, I'm missing an arm or missing a leg and there's people looking at it. Yep. And, um, yeah, I totally, totally get that. Cause I mean, with my like cancer scar, I have my, my neck one. So I always get self-conscious that my shirt's coming down and it's looking like I've been in a knife fight. Right. And, uh, you know, trying to yeah, cover so imagine, that up. Imagine if you were 20 years old yeah. and you just lost a leg and everybody's looking at you and everybody wants to know mm-hmm. and they, they're not going to ask you, you know, it's just, it's a lot of pressure. I'm lucky because my amputation's hidden. No one, no one will see it. You know, rarely anyone will see it. But if you're missing an arm or a leg or whatever, you know, it's it's right out there for everybody to see. And um, I've been really intrigued by the way that people deal with it. Some people just completely lean into it, and they're just like, yeah, I got a stump. So what? <laughs> you know, and then other people kind of cover it up, and, and that's how they deal with it. So it's it's kind of interesting to, to meet these people and get to know them a little bit and, and to – find that thing about themselves that they've lost and give it back to them. 
Now these are coming from from that organization to you, or how did they find you to do? We to did a we did it? a press release um, for some of Rogue's customers, and then just really basically like the first couple were just word of mouth. They were people that that through the support group that I'm in, you know, somebody would say, "Oh, you know, this person's really kind of suffering." And it's it, you know it's interesting. The older you get, the more accepting you are of stuff. But when you're a really gorgeous 20-year-old and you get in a motorcycle accident and your leg gets sheared off and then all of a sudden you're in this whole new world, it's it's pretty hard, you know, because you don't really have a frame of reference for any of it. And, and you know, they take a battering. And society is not kind to people that are different. And, you know, when you have an amputation that's obvious you know arms gone you know like you said i didn't even notice that scar until you pointed it out but to you it's important because you notice it yeah but just imagine if it was a missing limb or something you see it every day you're reminded of it every day when you wake up and so it's just been it's been real gratifying working on that so and uh, but yeah i mean as far as as the business goes i mean it's just it's something that i've always done it's just that I've now focused down into that. I don't do any more commercial work. I don't do weddings. I don't do, you know, senior portraits or any of that garbage. I just do what I want to do because I don't need to generate a huge amount of income off of it. It's just kind of fun to do. I enjoy it, and it's great to see people's reaction. You know? I have two questions. Yeah. Um, the first question is what – uh, what percentage of the photography stuff are you doing versus, I mean, everybody knows you that's listening here, probably right. knows you as a fly guide. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what percentage of like guiding versus? Oh, I would say 80% guiding and 20%, maybe 30% of the photography. I mean, it's okay. it's just something I do. You know, there are times during the year that it's real popular. Like you know, when we get close to Valentine's Day, I mean, I could I could do shoots every day if I wanted to. And and another thing that I do want to say is I don't accept everybody that comes to me that wants to do pic- that wants to do images wants to do pictures. I talk to them beforehand, and w- the very first question I ask them always is why do you want to do this? And I, the biggest red flag, if you want to guarantee that I will not photograph you, say something like my boyfriend wants me to, because that is nothing but problems. Mm. because she doesn't want to do it. It's not going to be fun for her. It's not going to be fun exactly. for you. Exactly. And so there's this there's this point where I interview everybody before I even sit down and show them my work or anything. And there are red flag answers to questions, and I've been real polite to people, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't think we're a good fit because I have to like the people I'm photographing because it's it's pretty personal. And a lot of these people are getting way, way outside of their comfort zone. A lot of them don't. I mean, they just come in and they're just like, Boof, you know, they're just like, yeah, let's do it. And then, uh, but a lot of them are, are, you know, like they have never done anything like this. Um, and so it, it, it's, it, to your percentage question, it's it's not a huge percentage, but it's, it's there. And then uh, how has your... Uh, amputation affected how you fish and guide and all of that you know it 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 was interesting when it happened because it 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 happened because well for our listeners do you want to talk about what happened yeah sure sure i um oh maybe three years ago i 
got a puncture wound in one of my toes, the one on my left foot right next to the big toe. Um, I don't know what that little piggy went to. I can't remember that rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) That little piggy. Anyway, I got a puncture wound. It got infected. We kind of thought we had it under control, my doctor and I. Everything was going great. And then one weekend, I was up on the upper Guadalupe, and I just got into some bad water, and it just exploded. And it just swole up. It was horrible. I went to the emergency room. They couldn't figure out what the infection was. And long story short, my toe got amputated. So no big deal. It's not an important toe. I just had a goofy-looking foot that kind of looked like a monkey hand. But, you know, it was, it was doable. <laughs> well, fast forward two years later, um, some complications due to the surgery in the beginning not being done correctly i have to have the whole front of my left foot cut off straight across like toe like at the point of the toes or further but just back from the toes okay so basically i have half of my foot the heel part up about halfway so it's called a transmetatarsal amputation. It's not uncommon. A lot of diabetics get it. So everybody that hears that I had it done, they're like, oh, you're diabetic. And it's like, oh, you know, it has nothing to do with that. But anyway, it's just, you know, they want to pigeonhole you. So in the beginning, I was pretty concerned because, you know, all of a sudden I'm losing half of my foot and I realize that there's going to be some balance issues. So I would say I had it done December... 23rd actually two days before Christmas Merry Christmas to me um, last year and it took me about two weeks to get out of bed and really walk around on it and then there was a lot of balance issues so I worked on it went to physical therapy and I would say right now my balance is probably 90% of what it was before okay so not a huge big deal um I have been wearing waders even in the summertime just to keep my foot dry until it just completely heals up. But it's it's there. I mean, it's healed up. I don't need to wear waders anymore. Now I have to because it's cold. But um, people were pretty shocked that I was out. I think I guided my first trip probably two months after I had it done. Um, I still had stitches in it, actually, when I did my first <laughs> trip, which yeah. I hopefully my doctor's not listening <laughs> to this. Um but, yeah, it, it's, it, it hasn't affected me much. And it was kind of funny because there was this kind of murmur on the Internet that, you know, oh, he's done, you know, he's never going to guide again. And, you know, he can't do what he used to do. And you know what? I turned 60 years old yesterday, and I can still hump it down the river with the best of them. And I'm proud of that. And this isn't going to stop me or slow me down any. You know, it's, it's just a new hurdle to deal with. And it, it shows up every once in a while at the weirdest times. I had to I had to learn how to get into my truck differently because I used to step up with my on the running boards with my left foot. And now I do that, and there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of collapses. You don't have that front ball or that front pad right. area that exactly. you're going to bend so, up on. But, yeah, it's it, it hasn't affected me that much. I mean, it did in the beginning, and I could just kind of work through it. And uh, you know, I, I think I'm I think I'm doing fine. Is there a, what is it called? Phantom? Oh yeah, oh all the time. Yeah. Really? Oh. Like you feel like you feel oh. like you're it's everything. Phantom limb thing. pain. Oh yeah. my god. I'll be lying in bed and it's like, man, my big toe really hurts. And I'm like, 
yeah, I'm sure it does somewhere <laughs> in like a <laughs> landfill. But yeah, it's it's I get them all the time. And the funny thing was, when I just had the one toe taken off, never happened. Hmm. Never happened. And then once they did the, you know, the more radical surgery and did the big amputation, now I feel them all the time. And it's, it is weird. It is very weird because I can lie in bed and it's almost like a game now because <laughs> I can wiggle them because all the muscles and tendons and everything are still They're there. there. They're just not attached to anything anymore. And I can literally lie in bed and just like, oh, I'm wiggling my big toe, you know, and it's, it, it seems very real. Hmm. So, but... And then the other funny thing is, and we kind of talked about it with your with your scar, people have a hard time, like, asking. Mm-hmm. There's this, like, they want to know, but they don't want to know. So what the way that I'm going to deal with it, and I had to wait for my foot to heal up, is um, I talked to Jeff Davis, who's another fishing guide, yep. yeah. and also teaches commercial art and is an amazing artist. And I said, Jeff, I need a tattoo. I have no tattoos on my body, so it's going to be my first one. And I said, I need a tattoo to go over my, as we affectionately call it, the nub. I, and, and I kind of sent him a picture of it, and I said, I need something to go over this. And my thought is, instead of asking me how I lost my foot, someone can say, man, that is a cool tattoo. And then that kind of starts the conversation, because then you know what they really want to know, you know, and then you can talk about it. But I'm not going to say what it is, but it is awesome. I showed it to the, <laughs> I showed it to the surgeon that did did the surgery and she was like oh my god that's gonna look will so they good. let you do a tattoo there uh-huh okay yeah i'm not getting a tattoo in the front of my chest and then, <laughs> yeah so it, it's gonna look it's gonna look pretty cool but the funny part is is that everybody i talk to about it they go oh my god that is gonna hurt so bad and i'm <laughs> like, like i ever lost it, it's, it, yeah it's amazing how you've already gone through the pain and you're, yeah. you're mentally already like i know what i can go yeah, through now exactly it's yeah. like yeah. is it gonna hurt worse than cutting it off <laughs> You know, it's like, uh, probably not, you know, just saying. Yeah, it's amazing as, you, as as you go through those things, as either traumatic or whatever level of traumaticness that it goes through, you, you realize more of your what what your body and what you can do mentally. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a know. total mental yeah. game. Yeah, it's 100%. For me, it's 100% because I still, even though it's been almost exactly a year now, when I get in the shower and I look down, I'm like, damn. My foot's gone. Like, what <laughs> happened? And and the 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 funniest part was after after it was pretty well healed up, I was taking a flight and I can't remember where I was flying to, but I was flying somewhere, and I was wearing Crocs because they always want to check your f- shoes and oh, everything okay. at the airport, so they're just easy to get in and out of. And I fell asleep on the plane, and I had a sock on, but it's obvious that half my foot's gone. And the the stewardess or the flight attendant came by to wake me up because they were getting ready to land. I had to put my seatbelt on. And she kind of looked down, and I looked down, and I'm like, what the hell happened to my foot? (laughs) And she just, like, for a second, like, panicked, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know. And I just started laughing. And she just kind of rolled her eyes and walked on, you know. But, yeah, it's it's very strange to, to see it. And, you know, every once in a while, there'll be, like, one little thing, one little move that I do that just completely throws my balance off. And it's like, okay, note to self, don't do that again, you know. But as far as guiding, I'm just as safe as I ever was. So uh, we got some more questions. Okay, great. Uh, Kick boat or canoe when solo fishing? Oh, kick boat always. Really? I've never fished out of a kick boat. I've never, yeah. Kick boats are awesome, 
But let me put the big caveat on this. When you first go out in them, you will hate it because you're used to going forward, and in a kick boat, you go backwards a lot. Okay. Because you're using the flippers. First thing you do when you get your kick boat is take the oars, throw them in the trash. <laughs> because way too much work, way too much effort, forget it. Use the flippers. Um, I'm a huge, huge kickboat fan. I, I probably have eight kickboats. Oh, really? Oh, what yeah. Would, what, what, what would be the difference in those eight? I've got, like, hard body kickboats that are, like, Hobies, the old Hobie float cats. Um, and those are good for rivers where there's a lot of uh, rocks and things like that that will kind of tear them up. I had this old boat called a Fishing Pal that was actually made here in Texas, and it's made out of styrofoam. I feel like I've seen that. Oh, they're awesome. They're awesome. I have two of them. And, and th- they this are one almost killer. looks like the old school um the old school like fold out chairs, but it's got the foam pad kind of, yeah. fo- foam yep. sections on the sides. Yep. It's called a fishing pal. It was made in some little town in Texas. I I, I could do a whole podcast about trying to track <laughs> them down because I tried to buy the company, but anyway. <laughs> Um, and so that, and then I have inflatable ones and the inflatable ones I got just because sometimes I can't take my truck somewhere or I want to just have the packability in the hard bodies. You can't really pack them, but, um, I love kick boats. So yeah, definitely, definitely kick boat over canoe. Do you have a preference with some of those that have like the, um, foam chair or the foam seat as opposed to not having it? The biggest thing on the seat is you just don't want it so low that you're in the water. Okay. Because sitting in the water all day sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, I want something that's higher than that. So like the Hobies and, and most of my inflatables, sit pretty high are you even make, though I'm a big guy are you making any tweaks to these oh yeah I've got some of them that have trolling motors on them <laughs> um I've got some of them that I've I've modified the frames I've I've had some baskets welded onto them yeah no I do tons of, I don't have one kick boat that doesn't have a tweak on it at least one and these include the with that's with, it with your f- the flippers are literally that right they they're on kind of the boot and they flip open as you no those know, are or not, you doing no something they're else? they're just like oh, regular no. scuba fins okay yeah they're called force fins are the ones I use the ones you're talking about those are like the little duck ones yeah again you'll hate those okay so perfect. don't even waste your money oh uh, yeah I, I can't I mean it's been a decade since I've seen them but I remember seeing them like what do you even do with these uh, one of the things that really and this is gonna sound really stupid. And and people that don't haven't done this don't get it. But what really helps when you learn to kick boat is if you have ever ridden a motorcycle. Because there's this thing in, 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 when you ride a motorcycle, it's called counter steering. And it says that when you push on the handlebar left, the bike actually turns left. And you would think that when you push on it, it's going to turn everything to the right, but it doesn't. And kick boats are a lot like that. They're very counterintuitive. Sometimes when you kick with one foot, you think you're going to turn one way and you actually turn the other way. So when I do kick boat classes, and I do them all the time, the first thing I have people do is get in the water and kick in a circle. So they know that they can rotate that thing 360 degrees. Once you can do that, you can do anything with them. But they're a little frustrating in the beginning. 
but they're awesome. So, yeah, definitely kick boat over canoe, unless you've got somebody who's going to paddle you around all day in a canoe. Because other than that, you just can't. They're just not functional, especially on the rivers here. They're just moving too fast. So you're getting, with those boats, you're saying you're getting a little bit more control and, and stability? Oh, 100%. Okay. Plus, your hands are free. Yeah, and you get. I mean, that's the problem with kayaks. Everybody's so into fishing from kayaks. Last time I checked, you need two hands to paddle a kayak, and you need two hands to fly fish. Now, unless you're Vishnu and you got eight <laughs> arms, you're pretty much too short, you know? And I just, I, I just, it just, is, it's not in the math. And I can completely control my kickboat with my feet, leaving my hands free to do what they need to do. So, yeah, way better. And if anybody out there can't use their kickboat or gets frustrated with it, just hit me up and we'll go out on the San Marcos one day and I will show you how to use that thing because you will be in love oh, with it. Oh, I thought you were going to say I'll buy it off you because no. I know enough already. No. <laughs> no, once you learn how to use it, you'll love it. So, anyway. You get to put together your own fishery. Which fish are you throwing in, fresh and salt? Ooh. Fresh water, you got to have small mouths and you got to have Guadalupe bass. That's and, and I don't know. That's going to create a crossbreeding problem. Oh, of course. Problem. Yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> we no. already tested that here. Abs- yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, and I would say uh, Rios because everybody loves catching them. They're great fighters and they're just beautiful fish. Um, you know, I, I and this is going to sound like heresy, but I'm just not a huge largemouth fan because they just have so little fight in them. You know, you'll hook them, they'll fight you for a while, and then they, they just kind of lay over. Yeah. yeah, it's like a sack of flour. Especially the bigger they get. They uh, do exactly. Get and then early. you get, like, a Smalley or a Guadalupe, and, and they're just full of fight. And I am a huge fan of sunfish, all of them. So I would say my freshwater, that would be my freshwater thing. You know, I know everybody's into carp fishing and going and catching those. That would be last on my list. I would put a gar way before a carp. Um, and again, that's just my personal. It sounds like slant. you built the San Marcos. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Except for the Pacostomus and the, yeah. Yeah, the koi. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think sunfish are really underrated. You know, everybody wants to go catch a big bass. And, you know, you catch a sunfish that's a pound and a half, two pounds, that is a hell of a fish. And that's a smart fish because dumb fish don't get big. So, you know, that, and then as far as saltwater goes, I would say my number one favorite fish to catch in salt would have to be a Dorado, just because they just scream. And, you know, bonefish would be great. Uh, You know, that's another good one. Snook is another good one. But Dorados just, they're so beautiful, and they eat so well, and they're just so aggressive. I mean, I've seen a Dorado turn and move 30 feet to hit a fly just out of spite i think you know and you know redfish are great love love catching redfish you know um no but the colors and oh the yeah fight and oh the yeah absolutely like that, yeah. absolutely and there's a there's a saltwater fish um you find in asia a lot when i when i was going over to singapore and thailand and stuff and they're called barramunde and they look just like a huge panfish. Okay. don't ask me how to spell it because i don't know but they're called Barramunde, and they look like a huge sunfish, but they get to be like 20 pounds, and those things are line smokers, man. They're super, super fun. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they're a great fish. 
and wow. just really, really enjoyable fish to catch. Um, but yeah, I would say if I had to pick one fish or two fish that you know in the salt to to catch it, number one would be a dorado for sure. Um, and then you know the, any of the other stuff. Tarpon are fun to catch. I mean, they're a hard fight. Tarpon just make me mad because you can fight them for thirty minutes and then they get off right before you land them. And you're like, oh, you, you know, <laughs> just want to jump in the water with a knife, you know. But I've lost a lot of good tarpon. I have never, and I'll be the first one to admit it. I have never caught a big tarpon. The biggest I've caught's in like the eighty pound range. I've never, you know, you see these guys nailing those two hundred pounders. Never happened to me, you know. Never had the opportunity. I would love to, but just. You know, have you had one on and then broke it off? Oh no, no. Okay? I mean, I've never even completely. I mean, same. I can lie and say I've hooked one and it doesn't land it, but I, I would say probably the biggest tarpon I've ever hooked and not landed was maybe one ten, one twenty. Not much bigger than ones I've landed, you know, in the eighty pound range. But they're still fun. They're they're great to fight. But you know, the one thing I can say about saltwater fishing is. It's, it, you never know. It's like Forrest Gump, you know, like you never know what you're going to get kind of thing because it, you could be catching Dorados and then all of a sudden, you know, you'll get a false albacore or just just crazy stuff, you know. So that's that's a lot more fun in that respect. But, yeah, Dorado, that'd be my number one. So. Gabe, you do fresh, I'll do salt just to keep it moving. Yeah. If you had to put together a freshwater fishery. Those reels – after getting that big one and really not catching a lot of them, I've kind of gotten that. You're just picking little, stuff that we already have here. I know. That's all, that's it. I mean, I haven't really gone for anything else. I don't really, really care. I was thinking about the, the the other day, too. Like, you know, trout fishing's cool and stuff. It just never really – I don't know why I've never really taken to it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just looking You're about some. to get Kevin on a roll. Yeah. No, no. Just kind of, uh. <laughs> I'm going to be nice. Well, whether whether it's being invited to Colorado or whatever. like, Have you done, done, like, Colorado? Have you done Colorado? Have you done uh, Montana, I, no, A buddy Idaho? invites me to, like, uh, Durango Cause if you're twice only, a year. If your only I'm taste like, of trout fishing is Texas, I can understand why you yeah. But I don't even want to do that. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm not even. No, but I can understand that. What I'm saying anyway, is. Eh. I'm saying the reason you feel this way is because you haven't gone. I think if if I went over there, I'd be more in love with the environment and what's surrounding and the surroundings and 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 that. I if you went to care. northern New Mexico and caught thirty fish on a dry fly in three hours, uh, oh yeah, okay. You, yeah. I think your opinion would change. I don't know. Okay, okay well, it's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk more. Like I said, I get a buddy of mine invites me all the time, and I haven't I haven't been able to to swing it. But it's it's getting to the point where like I'm gonna have to just we're doing this and cross everything off and just go uh, to con- you know to have that opportunity to go and do go it. somewhere where they have brown trout mm-hmm. because that is a rush because they are the most aggressive. I I think, in my opinion, the most aggressive in the trout family, and they are just gnarly they're just they got bad attitudes which is great you know so for salt i would say let's just take the the texas coast keep the redfish let's add a striper run to the coast and then let's throw some uh gts uh, no i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna say gts i've never fish i've never caught one but let's uh let's throw some rooster fish in there too oh okay yeah okay 
I might want to change my salt water. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never caught one, but just to see those I fins like flare up. Yeah. Did, did you guys ever see uh, Running Down the Man? Oh, please. Yeah. I, I mean, I I never. I've only seen. I I've never out, seen it. I wore out two DVDs. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Running Down the Man. Nice. Yeah. It's like between that and the in the uh, scene of Phoebe Cates getting out of the pool <laughs> and Fast Rest Times at Ridgemont High. high. Oh, no, that's, that's hilarious. It, it, it's uh, I was lucky enough to be at the. Uh, Fly Tackle Dealer Show in Denver when the first Drake Film Festival came out and Running Down the Man won it. And we got to see it for the first time, and people went insane. Yeah. It was so cool. But, yeah, that, yeah. Just the promo for it. I mean, that's all I've seen is the promo for it. I'm, like, jacked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Awesome. So, Any other yeah, we got some more. got to go. Uh, so Grant sent us a question. What's your advice for winter bassing? And he said, I have a sinking line to fish the deeper sections, but still don't ever seem to have good luck. Are there flies and stripping techniques that work well? Well, he's he's on the right track with the sinking line because there it's the two words to remember in winter bass fishing is low and slow. The, these fish are going to be low down in the water column. And their metabolism, their their cold water or cold blooded animals, their metabolism slows way down, and so any strip that you put on there has to be painfully slow, and painfully deep. So the flies you're going to look for are going to be flies that sink inverted, you know, Clouser style with the hook point up. Um, Gr- uh, Grim Reapers one I can think of right off the top, um, because you're going to get snagged on a lot of stuff. Um, and just be ready for that because no matter what you have weedless, you're still going to get snagged. And it's just finding those deep pockets, finding those places where the water is not moving. And it's just a, it's, it's, it's a hard game. It's a very hard game. Now, with the one exception of the first about two and a half miles of the San Marcos, and that's because that water's coming out of the spring there. And you still have a lot of temperature control. So those fish are used to that water being that that same temperature that it comes out of the aquifer at. So there you can have some pretty good winter bassing days. But most of it, like, for instance, I had somebody wanted to book a trip on the Lano in a couple of weeks. It'd be worthless. The water there, there are no deep pockets there. Mm -hmm especially in a drought year. I mean, deep pockets, we're talking 15 feet, 10 feet. Yeah, I was going to ask that, how deep relative to the temperature? 10 to 15 get. feet because it's it's that's the only place that that water is So not only are you, are you we talking sinking line, we're talking aggressive sinking lines. Oh, yeah, sinking aggressive line. sinking lines with aggressive flies and painfully slow strips. I mean, just barely tweaking that thing along. And, you know, you've got to really sell it because – an average bass, let's say uh, like a, a Guadalupe bass or even a largemouth, in the summertime when the water's warm and their metabolism's racing, they're going to eat four or five times a day. When it's cold like that and their metabolism slows down, they may eat once every three days. So you got to make your steak look really good. You know, it's got to look good. It's got to be easy for them to get. And all those things are just low and slow. It's just, it's a painful deal. I had a trip, oh, man, it was probably four years ago, maybe five years ago now, 
in January with a guy who just he knew it was going to be tough fishing. He just wanted to go. He caught three fish. He caught a bass that was about <clears throat> three inches long. Obviously, I didn't weigh it. He caught a six-pound bass and an eight-pound bass. Three fish. Somehow the six and the eight-pounder made up for it. But when he hooked the eight-pounder, he thought he was snagged on a log because the fish took it so slow and literally just sat there for a second until he knew he was hooked. And then once he, yeah, then it took off. But, I mean, because he had been getting snagged all day because we were fishing that technique. So it's tough. It's a tough game. And uh, I would say if you just want to go out and just catch some fun, easy fish and some sunfish, go hit up the first, you know, the, the, the section of the San Marcos before it joins the Blanco is a lot more temperature controlled. So you can catch a lot of fish up there usually in the, in the wintertime. So, like, right, right now as we're starting to get our, our fronts in, yeah. at, what, at what point are you, would you be looking and saying, okay, you know, is it after a, a stretch of 60-degree weather days or It's when, you, when you start to see a lot of days in a row that are cold, like 50-degree days. Um, and once you start to see that, you're going to see it slow way down. And we're there. I mean, we had that, you know, a week and a half ago, we had a bunch of days in a row where it was 40s and 50s. Yeah, cold and, and wet. And then got real cold at night, and that just shuts them down. So right now, I, I'm still doing bass trips on the San Marcos, but with the caveat that it's going to be tough fishing. And I have some guys that love that because they just want to park on a spot and throw a million casts in there, and, you know, it's all good. But most guys don't have that patience. Last question from Adam. Do you throw different flies or colors based on the time of day? If so, what are some of your go-tos for sunrise, sunset, nighttime fishing? Also, any tips for locating and catching bass at night or low-light conditions? Okay, I'm going to go backwards. Okay. Bass in low light, um, that's one of the best opportunities to use poppers and topwater stuff. And you use stuff that makes noise, lots of noise, with very little motion. And what I mean by that is real broad-faced poppers that will make a lot of noise, a lot of commotion, but won't move physically very long on top of the water. Because remember, they're going to have to find these things. But when they hear the popping sound, when they hear that commotion, that, that's just like the dinner bell. I do trips every year on the supermoon. I'll do a float on the Colorado, and we just fish poppers the whole time, and we can just destroy them with those. But you're going to get about 50% of them. The fish are going to miss them. They're going to hit the fly six inches behind it, in front of it. They're just going to miss it, plain and simple. So nighttime fishing stuff, you know, they're going to be in the same pockets that they're always in, but just have a bigger fly that has a bigger profile and something that makes a lot of noise. Um, that's going to be kind of the winner on that. And then as far as the other uh, other question about color, um, you know, the, the general rule is if the water's got a little bit of color to it, almost everybody thinks that when the water has a little, more, a little bit more color, you want to go with a brighter color. And it's actually the opposite. Yeah. You want to go with more muted colors. When the water's really clear, that's when you bust out the chartreuse. So kind of stick with that. And then the other thing is always, always take your cue from the fish. I watch guys fish all the time. And they will catch a fish, pull it in, take the hook out, put the fish in, never look in its mouth. 
And that is so foolish because quite often we'll catch fish and I look in their mouth and they're going to tell me what color they want. They're going to tell me what they want. There's three things you should always do when you catch a fish. Number one is look at their color. If they're real bright, beautiful colors, they're eating well. Lots of protein. So that means your offering has to be a little bit better. You've got to pay a little bit more attention to your presentation. Second thing is feel them if they're warm. Like right now, if we caught a, a, a bass and he was warm, where did he come from? Warmer water? <laughs> he came from deep. Deep, okay. Because yeah. the surface water is cold. Right. He came from deep. If he's real cold, that means he's in that upper level hunting. He's He's, he's hungry. He's yeah. hungry. So color, temperature, look in their mouths. That takes half a second, a second at most to do that. Okay. People are like, oh, don't keep the fish out of the water so long. You get good at it. Mm-hmm. You do it real quick, and you see it. I caught a fish. Um, oh, man, I don't, it, it was this year. It was in the spring, and, and no joke, it was a nice-sized bass, and I looked in its mouth. It had three full-size crayfish in its mouth. They were still alive. Lucky day for them because <laughs> I let them go. But three crayfish in its mouth. So, you know, th- somehow that clouser minnow that he ate, he, he did eat it. But let me tell you, we were switching over to crayfish patterns pretty fast. Yeah, I've seen so. that I've seen that exact thing happen after like a summer rainstorm. And I yeah. had a little, a little small ant pattern just floating. Went to do something, grabbed the rod. Oh, I got a fish on, bass, opened yeah. it up. And he looked like he was dipping chaw because yeah. he had so, so many, many of those of flying ants in his yep. mouth. And that, that takes no time yeah. to do, but it's amazing. Next time you're on the water, look at guys catching fish, and you'll see none of them do it. None of them do it. And it's so silly because that fish is going to tell you so much information. So I, I don't know if that makes a difference. And, and as far as locating fish just in general – Always think about what the fish need. They need to have shelter. They need to be safe, you know, from predators. They need to have access to food. And then they need to have the right environment. So when you find still pockets that are underneath trees or have some kind of overhead cover on them are the right temperature, that's a that's a winner. So, you know, just learn to look for those things. So No, that's that's all good, Kevin. All right, let's talk about your uh Let's talk about your new project. All right. You just bought a company. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I was bored. I don't know. I was just sitting around. I'm like, what should I do today? I think I'll go buy a company. Um, Yeah, bought. uh, It's called Tough Fly. We spell it because that's the confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, and and I'm glad you brought that up. It's spelled T-U-F-F-L-E-Y-E. Now, the reason it's spelled that way is because in the very beginning of the company, They got hooked up with Bob Popovics, who is from, you know, European derivation. And it's a, it's kind of a European spelling. And it just kind of stuck. The the guys who started the company thought it was cool and they liked it. And everybody pronounces it tough a lie. That's what I say. That's what I always thought it was. Okay. Well, 
newsflash. I bought the company, so I get to call it whatever the hell I want. <laughs> so you've heard it here. Yeah, it there now, you go. Yeah, it's on paper. It's now, now officially yeah. called Tough Life. No, I mean I get it that the people want to pronounce it that way, and it probably truly should be pronounced that way. But it's just confusing. I think. Did you think about like when you bought it, like oh, let's just do a quick name change and spell I, I, it? I tough did. Fly. I did, and then I thought, no, I don't want to do that because there's so many people that are kind of addicted to this stuff. You know it by that. And name. I exactly, and I didn't want to kind of alienate them. So I just kind of stuck with the name, but now I just kind of almost mumble it when I pronounce <laughs> it. So the the parent company is called Wetahook, um, and there, that's the 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 parent company. And then uh, Tough Lie is just a, a a a line of products that we sell. And basically, what Tough Lie is is Tough Lie was the very first light cured fly tying epoxy, and it came out 20 years ago at least, and um, there was nothing on the market that was like it. And the guy who developed it is a guy named Ned Lunt, uh, Dr. Ned Lunt. He's a dentist, and he is a big fly tire, and he saw all these cross-applications with dental products that cured with light. And so he just kind of came up with these products. And I helped a little bit in the very beginning. I was a, I was a consultant for the company, and literally before they even launched any products. And then I kind of didn't have anything to do with them for 20 years and ended up buying it. But long story short, the difference in our product than any other product on the market is our product does not cure with UV light. It cures with a blue light. Now, that may sound like, well, who cares, Kevin? You know, it's a blue light. It's a UV light. You know, whatever. Um, if you are thinking about getting into using epoxies and light-cured epoxies, or even if you use light-cured epoxies, tonight, after you listen to this podcast, go on to Google and type in hazards of UV light, which is what everybody uses to cure their epoxy with just go into google after you douse your phone with water because it's blown up or your laptop or whatever read a few of the articles about what uv light can do to your eyes um it is not pleasant it's not good it's not good for your eyes um so our product the big selling point in our product is that it's safe period it's a safe product it's not going to harm you. It's not going to harm you in the short term or the long term. Now, again, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, I've been using, you know, UV Cure Light since it came out or UV Cure Epoxy since it came out, and it's, you know, not bothered me. It isn't going to hurt you in a day or a week or a month, but eventually it's going to hurt you. Now, how do we know this? One of the reasons Ned knew it, Ned was a dentist, and most of the early dentistry epoxies and, and products cured with UV light. And then all of a sudden, every dentist started to get cataracts. And they actually did a big case study about it and found out that it was because of the UV light. So now after, you know, in post-COVID, I think people are a little bit more cognizant or aware of the health risks of certain things. So our product, I feel really good about it because it's not something that's going to harm you. 
the epoxies work just like the other epoxy. Well, they don't. They work a little different. I'm going to talk about that. But basically, the epoxies work the same basic way, but we're just carrying them with a different light. Um, some of you might go and do a little research, and you'll see some negative comments about Tough Fly that says, oh, this stuff never dries. And um, that is kind of true, and, and I'll explain what I'm saying. We have three basic products. We have a product called Core, which is what we build up heads with. It's the bulk of your epoxy work. And then we have a product called Flex, which if you want to coat something with an epoxy coating, but you want it to remain flexible like a wool head or something like that, the Flex dries, but it's always flexible. And then we have a product called Finish, which is a glossy finish, which dries with the light. Core is the one that causes everybody is, is issues. Is the finish like a, like a viscosity level, like a liquid? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a thick liquid. It, it would be like uh, uh, like thin caro syrup, maybe. You know, okay. like a thin corn syrup. Not real thick, but not real thin. It's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, and the finish dries to a, a glossy finish, and it's 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 not tacky. the The problem that people had with the product, and this was just an education thing where people they, it wasn't explained to them correctly, is that the core, which is the the product that builds up the heads, even after it is cured, is tacky. And you're gonna say, well, I don't want a tacky finish on my flies. If you think about what most people use epoxy for, they're building heads on flies that they put eyes on or they'll use fly foils or whatever. Um, So the reason that core dries tacky or doesn't dry is that when you go to stick the eyes on, it is much easier to stick eyes or anything else that you're going to stick to this thing onto a tacky surface than it is on a hard, dry surface. Now, every time you stick eyes on, the next step is you're going to overcoat it with more epoxy. So instead of using core on the second layer, you use the finish. The finish dries with the light. Now, we, we, all, we have three options to get rid of the tackiness. Number one is to double coat it with the finish, cure it with the light. The second one is if you don't want to do that and you want to spin it on a wheel so that the head's perfectly smooth, we have a product called Top Coat, which is very similar to like Sally Hansen Hard as Nails. It's just a clear cross-bonded uh, liquid. The difference is it doesn't dissolve paint like Sally Hansen does. We formulated it to have less uh, solvents in it so it doesn't dissolve paint. So you can do the finish, cure it with the light. You can do the Top Coat, let it spin, air dry. Or you can simply take rubbing alcohol and rub the head with a paper towel and the sticky goes away. Yeah. So it's not a negative. And that's, it, it just really, I spend so much time explaining it to people. And once they understand it, then it makes total sense. And then once they go home and they try it and they realize that those eyes, that they could never stick on a UV-cured product because it was hard and glossy, now it sticks great because it's a little bit of tack to it. It's not that it's not firm. It's very firm. There's just a real small layer of tackiness on the top. If you don't want it on, you don't want to put eyes on something, 
take some rubbing alcohol, rub it, it's gone. Um, we have a big fly tire named Alan Rupp in uh, New York. He's a big commercial tire. He ties a lot of clousers, and he uses it on the heads. He doesn't put anything else on it. So all he does is after he's done doing it, he cures it with the light, rubs it with a little rubbing alcohol, they're good to go. He doesn't have to put the finish on it. He doesn't have to put top coat on it. He just wipes off the, the, the tackiness. It's it's firm underneath. It's just that thin shear of tackiness. So it's a great product. Yeah, um, and, and exactly that, in using it in the past, like it is not – once you've done it, once you realize the ease of, of just doing it, and, and you can have your 12 that you tied, you know, do you know, put it, put it on, and then just rub it off to dry it out, and you're done. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it, – when when the company came up for sale, they called me, and they actually called me to find a buyer for it, which I thought was funny, because they didn't even think I'd be interested in it, and I was totally interested in it. And it took us a little while to kind of negotiate the deal, but I'm I'm really, I'm really happy with it because it's a product that I completely believe in. And you know, I didn't need to buy another business. <laughs> I've got plenty going on, but it was like such a great opportunity. And it's just something that I just truly believe in. It's a great product. And once you understand the product and know how to use it, it's awesome. And it's, it's you know, it's not going to hurt you, plain and simple. And that makes a huge difference to a lot of people. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier before before we started. And, you know, I just turned 60. And if I had just started tying flies, which I didn't, but if I had, you know, it isn't going to hurt me. Because it, this isn't something that happens in a day or a week. But you get guys like Gabe Cross, who's 18, and he's using a UV cure epoxy. He's got at least 40 to 50 years of time flies left in him. And then it's going to hurt him because that's a lot of cumulative exposure. And there's no reason for it. You know, there is an alternative. And it just, you know, it, it's uh, the the guys who started the company just weren't very aggressive in their marketing. And unfortunately, they kind of left the market open to other people because, believe me, when they started this thing, if they had really pushed it hard, they would have owned this market. No one would have been talking about UV Cure anything, right. you know. But it's a great product. I really believe in it. I think when people see it being used, it's going to make all the difference in the world, you know, if they're looking to, to get into using epoxy, you know. No, this is one of the first ones I use. I mean, starting this 15 years ago, that's kind of where, you know, the local club had, had them using, the guys were using it, and you just became aware of that it existed and how to use it. It was great. And then, unfortunately, just because of things that happened, it just yeah. kind of fell off. And right. And then you had the brands like Loon and stuff coming in and doing yeah. their stuff. So you you – would jump to that because that's what that's what you have. So sure. this coming back is is uh, definitely very interesting and pretty excited about. Well, I had some. I got some of that estate sale haul that I did a couple of years ago, where I bought all the fly tying stuff from an estate sale, and it sat in my drawer for a while. And you know, based on the packaging, I was like, "Oh, my UV light should cure this stuff." I tried it out, didn't work. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, it must yeah. be old." And the trash it went. <laughs> Didn't even know that it was a blue yeah, light. Right. See, and I got lucky because, you know, we had guys using, we had guys that were actually demoing it at, at expos. 
Um, so I could go to them and ask them questions. And, and you know, the, at the Tuesday meetings, they were all using it and, and tying with it. There was at least at least two two to three people tying on a Tuesday in the group out of 10 to 12. People saw it, could ask the questions, and and we, we had context that we could we could go in and right. ask about. So that made it a lot easier in that tra- transition. I bought mine at uh, at uh, Sportsman's Finest. Yeah. You know, and, like and, and to your point about having access to people that know how to use it, one of the things that the company didn't do before I bought it and that we've changed is we now are present on social media. So now if you have a question, you can just get on Instagram or you can get on our website and just type in a question and send it to us and we'll get back with you. Awesome. And we've had people already doing that. We're we're in the process of rebuilding the website, rebuilding the Instagram, doing all that stuff. And we're answering questions every day from people that are having issues with stuff or just want to know more information. So, you know, if you don't have that community that's using it, don't worry, we'll help you. You know, I'm a businessman. I want to sell this stuff. I believe in it. I want to sell it. And to do that... I need to help educate you and help you use the product. So, and even more so, there's avenues now than, than we didn't have 12, 15 years ago. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, that makes it it's gonna make it more fun. Well, and you're making a lot of changes too. We have maybe have we won't talk about them, but maybe have some new product ideas and some other things coming out of the pipeline. So yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna have some new products coming out. We're also gonna have um, some new delivery systems for the product. Uh, right now, currently, if you've looked at the product before, it comes in these big syringes, either 10cc or 30cc syringes. And we've had a lot of feedback saying we really wish it was in squeeze bottles. So very soon, we are going to start offering it in squeeze bottles. And for the people that like the syringes, we're still going to offer it in that. So we're trying to meet the customer where they are. And a lot of people are saying squeeze bottles. That's what loon and and uh golf and those other ones come in and people are used to those so that's what we're gonna do so we're gonna we're gonna make it easy to use so that hopefully you'll at least give us a chance or you know or at least come to the you know once we get the instagram site up and running and we get some videos up and we'll probably have a youtube channel and get some videos there once we get those up and you can see people using the stuff and understand how it works I think you're going to really like it. So. I think all that's great. What is, uh, as far as buying, I mean, we talked uh, off air a lot about, but what has been like the thing you, has been the biggest frustration about buying someone else's business? And then what has been the nicest thing about having bought a business that already exists? The nicest thing is that you have a client base already you have people that really really like your your product and again i'll go back to alan in in new york and this was funny because my first interaction with him was pretty funny it was kind of a frantic phone call and he had heard that the company had sold and he was afraid that it was going to go out of business and so he literally called every single dealer of tough fly in the united states and bought everything they had he didn't care what it was he just bought it and so he cleaned out every single dealer. And so the nice thing is that we, we have a fan base. We have people that love our product. So we're not starting from ground zero. We do have people out there that use it. 
that are glad that we've taken the company over, that we're making it a little more customer friendly. The frustrating part is anytime you buy a business from somebody, you find all the things you would have done differently. And that's true with anything. I mean, you buy a new house and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they picked out that carpet. And, oh, my God, that chan- <laughs> you know, that chandelier looks like Liberace bought it. The avocado <laughs> bathroom. Right, yeah. exactly. It's, it's, and, it, and it's just, it's, it's no matter what you do, you can't avoid that. You're always kind of, and, it, and it's, it's petty in a lot of ways. Um, you know, one of the reasons that the, the, the company was, was kind of in a hibernation was that there was the, the, the people that owned it were, it was basically a family run owned business and they had some major health issues. Um, and it kind of put them on hold because they had to take care of their family. They had to take care of their health issues and the business came second. And that's been the most frustrating part is that basically this business has been, hibernating for like two years and so i have to win customers back and that's hard but again when you believe in what you're doing when you believe in the product you can do that because it comes across i mean i i i really believe in this stuff i love it and i i wouldn't have bought the company if i didn't and so i really want people to give us a chance and and to see the product and to see other people using it or whatever, you know, it's a little bit of an investment because you got to buy a different light to cure the stuff. And, uh, and you know, so it's kind of like starting over. If you've already invested in, you know, a UV product, you may not want to switch. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to trash talk anybody that's out there. There's a lot of good UV products that are out there. I just personally don't want to take that risk. Um, but I know there are people out there that really like, what they're using and and that's fine but there's a lot of people out there that aren't satisfied with what they're using or are going to be a little more cautious once they figure out that that uv light's hurting them then they're going to want to switch over and uh, i'm here to help them you know uh tough fly sells another product that it's completely unrelated uh, semi unrelated to the uv what is that Uh, we we sell um they're called fly foils and they are awesome. They are <laughs> the slickest idea I have ever seen. It was one of the reasons, I'll be honest with you, it was one of the reasons I bought the company because they have like, they have distribution rights for pretty much the entire universe for these things. And what they are is they're die-cut prismatic foil bodies. And this is really hard to explain on the radio, but... Basically, you peel them on off. On the radio. You're showing your age, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> on that damn wireless. <laughs> on, that, on that wireless thing. Um, on the internet. Okay, I'm sorry. And I am showing my age. Um, but uh, what they are is they're die cut, and you peel them off. They're like a sticker. And you stick them on your fly. And so let's say that you're making an anchovy pattern. Uh, Tough fly is real big up in the northeast where they do a lot of saltwater fishing for bluefish and stuff like that. They fish with a lot of anchovy patterns. And basically, you peel it off, you stick it on the fly in between the first and second coat, and it gives you this incredible prismatic body with no effort at all. You don't have to cut them. You don't have to trim them. They come in different sizes. I mean, they're just super easy. You just peel them off and stick them on and overcoat them and they come in all kinds of different minnow patterns 
Another thing is we have three different color squid patterns. So for little baby squids. So it's a really, really cool product. Um, I'm in the midst right now of doing uh, new product shots for everything because we've changed the packaging a little bit. And uh, so those will be going up on the website. Hopefully when this uh, drops, we'll have the website finished and that stuff will be up there. But if you go there and they're not there, they're coming really quick. So we're trying to get everything up and running again. Um, the website's been completely redone. Uh, the Instagram site was non-existent, so we have that. We'll be having a we'll be doing a Facebook page, and like I said, we'll probably do a YouTube channel too. I think I'm most excited about the fly skins. Yeah. Oh, the Personally. the fly foils you or the fly, fly foils. Yeah. yeah. No, they're awesome. Yeah. They're totally awesome, and um, I'll get you some to try. But yeah, yeah, they they make doing a minnow pattern so easy. I mean, I want some of those squid ones. I want to tie some squids squid, up and go catch some redfish. The <laughs> squid ones are cool as hell. They're 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 very interesting looking, and they come in uh, in three sizes. I think they come in three sizes. I know they come in two sizes. Um, I'm still kind of learning the product line. It's so new. But um, I I was a little concerned that they were small. And so I called a couple of guys um, up at this fly shop called Bear's Den. And uh, I was like, these squids look really small. And they're like, oh, my God, the water is full of them. They're like they're baby squids, and that's what they eat. You know, they're a lot easier than eating a big squid, you know. <laughs> so they're like, no, those things are spot on for size. So I guess, I mean, since we don't have squid in Texas, but um, I, I guess that's the right size for them. But, again, this is going to be another product that we're going to do some development on. We're probably going to come out with some different patterns, you know, maybe like a shad pattern or something like that. But Mullet. Uh, yeah, mullet pattern. <laughs> there you go. But, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're slick. They're very slick. I've given away a lot of samples of them, and the people that I've given them to have taken them home and tried them, and they're like, oh, my God, these things are so easy. And, again, that's where, not to go backing up here, but that's where that core being a little bit tacky really helps because you have to wrap these things around the body. And you know when you're trying to wrap something around something that's hard and smooth, it's hard. But it's got a little bit of tackiness to it. Boom, sticks them right on. So, But, yeah, the fly foils are definitely cool. And then we've got uh, two other products that are kind of in the pipeline. Um, one of them we just have to secure a, a distribution deal with the manufacturer of the product. And then the other one we're, we're kind of got an R&D, but look for those coming soon. Um, they're going to be pretty cool. They're, one of them is going to be pretty revolutionary, I think, because uh, there is literally nothing even remotely close to it on the market, and it'll be another blue light cure product. So. Yeah, I think having talked with you about it, I think it'll be a game changer. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, honestly. We'll have you back when it's ready yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was pretty excited when – we started talking about buying the business, and I went down and met with Ned, and he's like, oh, let me show you this. And he pulled out this this deal, and I was like, oh, my God. I, you know, I was like, I had to play with it. It was just such a cool idea. So I think, you know, as soon as we can, as soon as we can secure the, the pipeline for this stuff, because it's not something that we make. It's something that we're buying and kind of repurposing, but um, it's, it's going to be pretty smooth. Pretty smooth. Awesome. Kevin, is there anything else you want to add? 
No, no. I just, uh, you know, I think uh, one of the things I want to offer is that if anybody who's listening on your wireless radio, um, (laughs) (laughs) making me feel old, thank you. Um, Anybody who's listening to the podcast, if you want to order any of our products, um, go to the website, and if you mention Honey Hole, we'll give you 25% off your first order. Oh, awesome. um and that's just to get you guys acquainted with it. Again, it's it's you know it's going to be a leap for some people because they've got to invest in a new light. And, you know, it's all new products, and uh, you know we looked at we looked at coming out with a light that was switchable that you could switch a little switch on that would give you UV light or to give you blue light. And I just I, I couldn't go down that road because part of the the whole idea of this company is that we don't want to sell something that we believe is harmful. And so we we didn't do that because they're available. You yeah. can get them, um, but we're not selling them. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on, Kevin. We really appreciate it. It's always a blast to have you on. I I always love coming down. You guys are much fun. No, I feel like every time we get you on here, it's like we're just peeling these layers back. Really getting to know. Peeling the layers of Kevin back. Yeah, exactly. The most interesting guy in the world. Like a rotten onion, right? (laughs) (laughs) Look in the description below to find links to our website, online store, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Discord server, and blog. Please send your podcast questions and inquiries to info at honeyholeangling.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you again next week.